We've been following uh, Abraham's uh, journey since the first of the year. And uh, as Abraham is near death, one of the important businesses left unattended is to get a bride for his son, Isaac. And so he sends his servant, Eleazar, in the 24th chapter of Genesis to find a bride. And that's where we pick up the story in the middle of that, uh, of that chapter as Eleazar prays and, and says, God of my servant and um, Abraham, make me successful in my journey and thereby show kindness to Abraham. Uh, here I am standing by the spring and all the daughters of the townspeople are coming to draw water. When I ask one for a drink of water, Let the one who says, yes, have a drink, and I will give water to your camels also. May she be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac, and therefore have shown faithfulness to Abraham. But before he could finish the prayer, Rebekah walked up with the jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the brother of, or the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. She was beautiful, and she was a virgin. No man had slept with her. She went down to the spring with her jar and came up. The servant hurried over to meet her and asked for a drink of water. And she lowered her hands with the jar so that he, quickly so that he could take a drink. And when he had finished taking a drink, uh, she said, uh, Not only have this drink, but let me uh, give water to your camels until they have had enough. And so she quickly poured the water from the jar into the trough and ran back down to the spring and, bought, and brought back enough water until there was water for all of the camels. And without saying a word, the servant watched her closely to see whether or not his journey had been successful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. It's stating the obvious, but water is absolutely essential to life. And so getting water to people is a very important and significant act. And and we're fortunate that we can draw water from uh, aquifers and uh, reservoirs and and from wells and usually have it piped in uh, to our home. But everyone around the world is not as fortunate as we are. When I was in Africa, I noticed a number of different ways that people without running water had to get water to their family. I noticed uh, that uh, many people walk carrying large yellow jugs about this big, filled with water that they've gotten down at a stream or at a well, and sometimes they carry it on their head, sometime on their shoulder. Uh, other people in Burundi will actually have a couple attached to the back of a bicycle, and they will bicycle uh, yellow jugs of water to their family. In Kenya, they would have even a larger uh, vessels for the water. They would have it on a little wagon, and the little wagon would be drawn by a donkey. Or, if I guess you were particularly prosperous, two donkeys. And they would get water to the people. Now, this is very interesting to me, but in the biblical world, do you know what the main method of transportation for water was? The main way water got transported in the biblical world from well to family was by women. 
women drew the water and carried the water. And so it's not surprising how many stories there are in the Bible of um, important meetings that, with women that happen around the well. And so today, there's the story of Rebecca and Eleazar, the servant of Isaac, Abraham, who's come to get a bride for Isaac. Later, Isaac's son, Jacob, will meet his lovely bride, uh, Rachel, at the well. Sometime after that, Moses will meet his bride, Zipporah, at a well in Midian. And then centuries later, there'll be a very important conversation at a well in John 4 between Jesus and uh, the so-called woman at the well. Uh, Basically, I I think I'm pretty certain in, in telling you this, that if you end up transported back into biblical times and you're looking for a woman, go to the well. Looking for a woman to marry, show up at the well. Now, that, of course, is only half the issue. The other half is, what kind of woman are you looking for? Well, Eleazar, the servant of Abraham, is looking for a very special woman. For this woman will be the bride to Isaac, and therefore the next mother in the line of God's promise that started with Abraham and Sarah, and now will continue through Isaac and somebody. What are the qualities that you're looking for in a woman who will be trustworthy enough to carry the seed of the very promise of God. Well, Eleazar comes up with a plan and he prays to God and he says, here I am by the spring where all the daughters of, of the village are, are coming to uh, get water. And when I ask one for a drink, let the one who not only says I can have a drink, but says I'll water your camels also, let her be the one. Well, I thought it might be worth a few minutes of our time this morning to say, well, what does that prayer mean? What exactly is he looking for in a woman who will carry the seed of God's promise and really be a mother like Sarah to many nations? Well, there are a few things that jump out at me. The first one is, obviously, you're looking for a woman who's hospitable. A woman who, even though she's gone through uh, the work of going and getting water and coming back with water, uh, doesn't mind sharing some of that water with a stranger. And we don't need to go into it. We've gone there so many times. Hospitality is absolutely essential in the ancient world. Abraham spent most of his life in, in a desert. And basically, in the ancient world, if somebody doesn't help you out, you're not going to make it. Now, it's my contention that that's the same way in the 21st century. If, if you and I don't help each other out, hospitable to each other and to others, we're not going to make it either. Think for a moment how many biblical characters were foreigners. They were strangers in a strange land. There's Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, his son Joseph. They all find themselves in a different land at some point from the land in which uh, they grew up. Go forward. David must spend uh, time in the land of the Philistines and and in uh, other lands running for his life from King Saul. All of God's significant people find themselves at some point Aliens and strangers in a strange land, whether it's, uh, whether it's Canaan or whether it's Egypt or whether it's Babylon or later with Paul, it's Rome. Even Jesus himself came from his land, his heavenly home, and took up residence as a foreigner among us. And had he not been supplied as a child, as a baby and a small child, hospitality, and had he not been welcomed here, who knows? how things might have turned out. Hospitality, absolutely essential. And this is a woman who has hospitality uh, and then some. 
Another thing we can say pretty safely about Rebecca is she's not afraid of working hard. Uh, Getting water from a well is not a particularly easy task. Uh, One takes a jar, and you've seen it, and you lower the jar uh, down to uh, the source of, um, uh, down to the spring and bring the water up. Uh, But a couple things you need to know about that. Oftentimes, the well was not at what you and I might call ground level. Oftentimes, you had to go down to the spring and down to the well, and uh, the passage this morning seems to indicate that that might be happening uh, for Rebecca and the people of her town. Uh, My first trip to Israel in 1999, the the first well we came to, there were almost 150 steps from ground level to where you had to take your bucket or your jar. Can you imagine? A bucket or jar, 150 steps down, lowering it down, getting it, 150 steps back up, doing it again. Now, I'm not saying Rebecca had to go that far, but we know she had to go down. Well, how often did she have to go down? Well, if she was going to give water to his camels too, she had to make a lot of trips. I've read all sorts of estimates about how much water camels can drink at a time. I'm going to give you the average of what I've seen, about 25 gallons. It's a lot of trips, a lot of water. And he has multiple camels. I don't even know how many. But he's got enough, obviously, to give away his presents when he finds this bride to bring back to Isaac. That's an incredible amount of work that she is willing to go through. She is hospitable. She is hardworking. She's, as Audrey mentioned, the children, compassionate as well. Because he doesn't ask for anything but a drink for himself. And she initiates, and let me get water for your camels as well. This is a woman who cares not just about people, but apparently cares about all living things. Now, I don't want to enter the debate. Some of you may have seen it in the paper. Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life and many good things, 40 Days of Purpose program, apparently last Sunday on Easter he said in California that all dogs go to heaven. I guess that's good to know. And he said, but not all people. Well, I don't want to enter that debate. And I don't really think that's the significant. It's not that Rebecca's worried about the souls of these camels. What Rebecca sees is something created by God in need And she responds, even at the cost of a lot of effort and a lot of time. She is compassionate. And she's a lot of things, but one other thing I would mention to you this morning is I think she's a truly humble person. I think she's filled with, with humility. She's willing to set herself aside for someone else. I mean, can you imagine? It must take hours to water all those camels. What was her next appointment? Did she have somewhere to be? Was there something she was trying to also get done that day? How would her family feel that she hadn't made it back with the water when they were expecting it? So many things that were, could have been on her agenda, they get tossed aside for someone else. She's willing to put someone in front of herself. And I think that's a good way to think of a humble spirit. We're told that Moses is the most humble man who ever lived. Well, Rebecca's got to be in the top five to live this kind of life. I was at a conference this week, and one of the guest speakers was uh, uh, David Brooks, who's a best-selling um, uh, author from the New York Times, and he's researching a book on humility. And he, he said this is what got his attention. One day he was driving home on a Sunday listening to NPR, and NPR was talking about uh, the kind of response or celebration there was after the victory in Europe Day and the victory in Japan Day in World War II. And he was talking about how the celebration was not, um, uh, when people commented on it, uh, it was very measured, 
it was very humble. It was, this has been a hard-won piece. We need to preserve it. We need to prove worthy of this victory that we had. There was that sort of response. And he quoted Ernie Pyle, famous World War II correspondent, who a few weeks before the end of the war in Europe, and Pyle would unfortunately die uh, in, in that war, Pyle can see the war with Nazi Germany coming to an end. And he says that quote, he said, we, we are fortunate that we're winning the war. Many things have come together for us. He said, we must prove worthy of the peace. So he's driving home and he's saying, that's an amazing group of people that, that won that world war in, in two different parts of the planet. And, and they're so subdued and reflected and humble about it. He said, I got home that afternoon and turned on the NFL game. He said, I've been watching it maybe three minutes, and the wide receiver caught a pass. For, and after two yards, the defensive back came up, stopped him, and, and knocked him down, and then ran around the field like he'd won World War III. He said, I was amazed that people who won World War II had very little to say. guy that tackled somebody for a two-yard gain acted like he was the most important person in the world. He said, that started me thinking, what has changed over the last 60 years? He went back and looked at some surveys. Uh, you may have seen these. In the 1950s, they asked high school seniors, are you important? 12% said they were important. High school seniors, they thought they were important. They did the same survey again 55 years later, 2010. 88% say that they are important. Now, self-esteem is a good thing. But he said, what we've, he said, what I've realized in my research, he says Americans are the most egotistical people on the planet. He said, if you ask students how they're doing in math, he said, most every student tells you they're above average in high school math. He said, and, and they're doing pretty well in it. He said the reality is Americans rank 36th in the world in their ability to do math. He said, yes, South Koreans, how they're doing, and they're saying we're not doing very well with math. They're first in the world. It's amazing, he said, how things have changed, and while self-esteem is good, we've made ourselves the center of everything. And he defined humility in, in working as his thesis for this upcoming book. He said he defined Humility is not feeling bad about yourself, but having a low preoccupation with yourself and a greater preoccupation with other people and their welfare. And I thought, that's Rebecca. She's more concerned about this man and his camels than she is about herself. And that's the kind of person that God is looking for. You can't escape, I'm sure, this week that today is the 100th anniversary of the Titanic. And whether you watch the James Cameron's movie or whether you watch TV specials or whether you read about it, you read not only about the disaster but how many amazing acts of heroism took place on the Titanic. Um, the people who went down into flooded floors and apartments looking for people who might still be alive to bring them back up. People who refused to get on a lifeboat so others might get on the lifeboat in front of them. And my favorite, 14 of the 16 lifeboats get away, and 13 of them are getting out of Dodge. They're getting out of, away from the Titanic as fast as they can while she sinks. And one lifeboat turns around and goes back to the, toward the Titanic because they realize they've got a couple spaces and there are people struggling in the water. Amazing acts of putting others and their well-being ahead of themselves. And then you probably saw this past week, the mayor of Newark, New Jersey, Mayor Booker, his neighbor's house is on fire. And now it needs to be noted the fire chief doesn't recommend this. 
uh, but he runs back in through the flames in his neighbor's burning house, gets her on, her sh- on his shoulders, carries her back out through the flames to safety. It wasn't a political move, I'm pretty sure. You don't have time to calculate in that situation. He just saw someone else as more important than himself. The way some in the Titanic did. And the way that 4,000 years ago, Rebecca did. Those are the kind of people that God was looking for. Those are the kind of people He's still looking for today.